This is sounds from Ukraine now. Звук из України зараз. Мы можем единственное о том, что главное не было существовать. Мы можем единственное о том, что главное не было существовать. 
показывать и показывая Киев. Здравствуйте, шановные любители футбола. Сегодня снова в унисон бьются сердца миллионов любителей футбола Украины, адже наши проведные команды снова на старте наипопулярнейших Hello, everybody. You're listening to Sounds from Ukraine now. My name is Clemens Poole, and my co-host is Chola Tunstall-Behrens. Today, we're talking to the writer, researcher, art critic, uh, and musician, um, Katya Yakovlenko. Uh, she's joining us from Vienna, I believe. And um, yeah, we're, as the show usually goes we're going to talk to her about uh some sounds that she's shared with us and what's happening in her life and what's happening in ukraine so um katya would you like to kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the uh first track we just played which is a track from your soundcloud account hi clemens um Hi guys, it's really nice uh, to be here and to talk about Ukrainian life and everything. Um, yeah, this is actually, you introduced me like a musician, but I'm not a musician. Uh, I'm just a writer and a researcher, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's also difficult to um, uh, find this right um explanation who, who am I but I did this music and I really enjoyed when I did um, it's based on the people's sounds so people voices and all of these beats and uh, musics and sounds that you're hearing it's not written by myself this is just how I transform the voice and in this case it's a voice of uh, Ukrainian um, great coach Valeria Lobanovsky, who was a coach of uh, Dynamo Kyiv in the beginning, and then uh, he was a national uh, football team uh, coach. And he just a huge legend. I perhaps you know uh, Andriy Shevchenko, so you can uh, 
can imagine how big Lebanovsky was because he was much, much uh, important figure for Ukrainian football team. Ah, um, so this moment in the middle where they're reading off numbers and names, this is the team. This is members of the Dynamo Kiev team. Yeah, in this, this case, same. actually, I use three. Um, so you can hear uh, three parts of uh, different um, uh, TV news episodes. One, it's a very old. Um, um, I think it's 1997 or something like this. Uh, Russian-speaking um, um, journalist who introduced in the team, and this is was the, I guess, the most brilliant team at the time uh, because all these uh, key figures of current. Uh, and the past uh, football team was playing like Shevchenko, like Rebrov, Kaha Kaladze, so like like really very important um, football players. Uh, but also another part, uh, it's just his voice, Lobanovsky's voice, um, when he trying to describe the game. And he was like really also uh, charismatic. He's not just a great uh, coach, but also a very charismatic person. Yeah. So this is uh, how I made this. And are you a fan of football, Katrina? <laughs> I think I was in my childhood. I saw lots of football and I know all of, the, all of these people, but now I really far from the context. But I think that for uh, the period of early independence, uh, football was one of the main thing. Um, and especially, oh. yeah, sorry. No, no, I was going to say that I, I also was uh, talking to or, or I was listening to a lecture by Sergei Belinki uh, and he was mentioning how how this uh, Dynamo Kiev victory in 1975, I believe, like this Euro Cup victory or something, um, was really instrumental in the construction of uh, like the like new national movement in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And it was this way to express national feeling inside the Soviet system under Brezhnev. Um, so I, I think it both has a significance before uh, independence and after. Well, I also have to say that like the, it's very political was always, and this fight between Dynamo Kiev and Spartak Moskva was the hugest fight in the Soviet football. But then, uh, national team didn't meet each other i guess until 94 no like 96 or something like this and it was like really a huge battle because it was super um it's not like a conflict itself but the tension between two teams and especially at the time was a conflict in the crimea um, because of the um, army forces and they like have some tension there but also this tension between ukrainians and russians in the football uh, field was a lot before and at that time ukraine was win uh it, i think it was three um we uh, yeah so, so it was like three and two um, comparing to the um, Russians. So, and I guess this is also gives lots of uh, 
believeness to U- Ukrainians that we can do this in different other levels as well. Um, yeah, so it was like really huge uh, event for the middle of 90s. I think this is also a, maybe an interesting but really effective way to introduce your practice because you work kind of as a cultural researcher and it's not just limited to like I, I know you specialize in, in art uh, context, but I feel like your your writing and your work is pretty wide ranging and includes things like this, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting how like all these imperialistic ideas come through different layers in culture. And of course, with all cultures, this is just a part, but this is, has lots of uh, elements inside, like materiality, um, like agency or lots of other things. Like in football as well, uh, another football team, uh, Shakhtar from Donetsk, for example, they use the fa- um, famous Soviet song called Spiat Kurgan Etovne. I just don't know how to translate it properly in English. So the idea that they, um, in this song, they uh, describe in this very specific uh, land of Donetsk and Luhansk regions, but all those kurgans, it's um, um, like a place, uh, like a graves of uh, soldiers from very ancient times. So I it's, think it's this, it's this uh, mound burial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is not mound. Yeah. This is just made by people because this is a grave so you cannot mm-hmm. build anything on on top of them and like you cannot use this land because this is like a grave and also they put lots of stuff like they did for example weapons or, or i don't know some basic uh, everyday life things or um, jewelry or something like this and how i've I was thinking about this tradition of, because this song actually uh, from um, the Soviet film, it was um, took from Ukrainian, uh, not national song, but um, so the the song which have no uh, name of writer. So it's like a, a popular, ethnic song I guess so they choose this motif and they choose the idea of the song but then they uh, write a new text and use this new text in Russian in this Soviet film and immediately it's become very popular and this is how all of this cultural layers connected to me because um, because of this imperialistic idea to took something and to um to change it to stall and to replace it with something but then just show that this is a part of our culture but actually in the early beginning it wasn't like that yeah it's interesting also this uh the site specificity of something like that too because this uh like the i mean i i guess i'm thinking of the relationship between this shakhtar as this like uh a team named for mining right yeah of like like of like miners a team of miners which is this classic uh idea of donbass and and this kind of extractive uh um 
it, like resource extraction as this defining part of the uh, social character, which goes all the way back to this imperial time and the, um, and but then this like kurgan is this more ancient subterranean uh, kind of practice is is pretty interesting. Um, Katrina, because I'm not so familiar with your work as Clemens is, and maybe the listeners won't also be, yeah. the kind of, yeah, what you research and, yeah, maybe talk about the context of your work more generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have also, like, very not simple way to how I become a researcher of contemporary art. In the beginning, I was a journalist, and I was working on my PhD connected to the heroical narrative of Donbass, um, in its transformation, and I was uh, researching the context of the in visual arts, especially of the representation of this heroical labor and heroical uh, minor in the Donbass, and how it was connected with the military context as well. So I described almost one um, one hundred years from the nineteen seventeen and a little bit earlier until the. Uh, actually very recent times. Uh, but then uh, I was working with uh, Izalat's uh, platform for cultural initiatives as a cultural manager and creator of um, uh, Donbass research uh, project, Donbass studies. Uh, we c- create a library and try to make some opportunities to people who want to know context more. Um, but then I also switched to contemporary art field and I become a researcher and creator of public programs in Pinchukar Center where I was mostly focusing on 80s and 90s, but also like uh, uh, women art and um, art that's dedicated to the violence because from the Donbass issue, it was really... Um, clear to me that art have been connected to this violential movements and ideas and also lots of these milita- militaristic images what they're uh, in current uh, like contemporary Ukrainian arts it's um, also a lot of transgressive things inside um, and for me why it was like late 80s, early 90s, it's because of, uh, again, uh, it's come from the Donbass issue, because in 1989, it was a huge minor strike in uh, Donetsk, uh, which become uh, all national Ukrainian labor movement. And this is, was a part of uh, Ukrainian national resistance. So this exact labor movement, uh, which happened in uh, Donetsk region, uh, grow more and this is was the beginning of Ukrainian independence. Um, so this is all how it was connected in my mind. <laughs> Perhaps for somebody it would be a little bit mess. Um, yeah, but in general I am interested in the role of culture and art during the political transformation, during the war, um, violence, uh, how it should be present or it shouldn't be bre- present, which images uh, these art and artists have to use to help or it's, or it's not helping people. So it's like lots of questions which are striking me. And especially now, uh, um, I think my research become more broader because uh, we can like live this moment and we can see lots of different things which are happening now. Uh, in Ukraine, in social media, everywhere. So this is all uh, 
makes me very fascinating of the topic. Maybe do we want to play another track and then maybe we can talk a little bit about where you are now and what you're working on? Посмотрите, какого цвета пирамидки. Ваше мнение? Обе белые. Обе белые. Обе белые. Обе белые. Обе белые. А если серьезно? Посмотрите, какого цвета пирамидки. 
ваше мнение? Обе белые. 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 Конечно. Вы сейчас сказали, что седьмому невозможно не сказать. А если серьезно? Но все-таки есть, когда есть внутренняя убежденность, и эта внутренняя убежденность противоречит мнению всех, должна же быть какая-то реакция. Мне стало как-то неловко. Обе белый. А если серьезно? Мне стало как-то неловко. Посмотрите, какого цвета пирамидки. Ваше мнение? Обе белые. 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 Catherine, I'm so interested how you said that you're not a musician, but you just made these tracks. And for me, they're so interesting. I love them. And then it's like, um, yeah, how, how you, is, was it just kind of a hobby or like a fun thing you did? And do you still make music or tracks or is it just something you did in the past? Uh, it's actually a very complicated question because um, it was um, sort of interest. I really like music um, and I was trying to... Uh, trying to know how to do it uh, but as I said I'm not musicians I even uh, yeah my parents uh, took me in the second grade when I was a kid to the piano classes and I didn't uh, finish it at all because I <laughs> prefer to play football instead of it uh, but um, yeah but in I guess two years ago or three years ago I was in Dnipro in uh, Dnipro center Contemporary Culture Center, and uh, my idea on this residency was to make something with uh, people's voices uh, whom I interviewed, and I was thinking that maybe some track would be a great idea, and uh, at that time, Armenian uh, composer helped me with it, and we did um, something like a podcast, but then I was trying to expand this idea more and try to figure out how um, a voice could be transformed and what can I do with different voices to make a music to make it more like a sound and techno or, or ambient or something like this so I start experiment with that and I was trying to come back to this idea but now I just cannot do music I'm listening it uh, even in the beginning of full-scale invasion it was quite difficult but uh, writing music and doing such experiments it's a little bit hard because you need more be involved in uh, what people are saying and yeah, it just uh, just different experience so maybe I will come back to this idea later uh, but even here, I think why I'm more researchers and musicians, because I'm choosing this exact part of uh, what people are saying and trying to make something with it more like a conceptual way. 
Um, and this exact um, piece, it's uh, called Obibele, which is uh, taken from a documentary film made by Felix uh, Sobolev, Kievan film director in 1971. And the idea of this uh, film is uh, experiments with um, uh, people, like for example, in the room was uh, nine people and uh, eight people said before wrong color of this uh, pyramid. And uh, of course it was like experiment. And this ninth person, he didn't know that this is experiment. And after all people was wrong and saying on white that this is black and black, this is white. He was confused and he lied. He said that this pyramid is um, white, but actually it was black. So it's uh, like all that we suffering and having now in the context of Ukraine, because all of these years uh, people was saying, well, this is not this is just a part of Soviet Union, but actually not. We have more broader history and um, yeah, so like more interesting culture and actually it's um, more complicated that it's present in Western media and Western context and academia as well. Uh, but because of uh, lack of knowledge and because of uh, lots of Russian propaganda, lots of people was following this false idea and belief that white is a black and black is a white so something like that it's interesting to this like question about um if, if you are a musician but actually i i don't really understand what music is for if not to talk about these kind of uh questions and and uh somebody said recently in one of our uh shows that music is this uh most abstract of arts and i'm still trying to wrap my head around what that means exactly but in this case um using these found sounds i wonder if this is like this is like an abstract kind of collage or is this uh it seems like you're also representing very concrete ideas when you approach this sort of composition is that correct or you kind of play around with things and whatever is produced is no, I'm produced. sure. Uh, yeah uh, i'm talking some things which i'm interested in like propaganda or artists which i do like uh, or um, like labanovsky as well he is important to me so i would not say that this is accidentally and chaotic somehow it's con all connected in my mind um, but talking about this abstraction idea, I guess abstraction is very concrete and uh, no abstract at all. Uh, I would not say that my music is abstract, but if we will talk about Ukrainian art, there is a great uh, piece by Katya Buchatskaya, her new abstract paintings, which has one yellow, one red, and one um, uh, brown. And she did this, and of course, this is looks like an abstract painting because like all the canvas painted with one color. But at the end, you know, the context of this work and the context is that uh, she was wondering uh, and looking for uh, oils to use in her paintings. And she find out that all these production companies that produce oil uh, for painters, they was um, 
uh, stop the uh, production because of uh, Russian invasion and they do not uh, work in at all. And uh, she was thinking how she could produce this oil. Um, so she find out that it's completely easy. So you can use the soil uh, from the ground and also you can like uh, use water. So she go to uh, Bucha, Hostomel and Moshun in the Kiev region and took this very traumatical land uh, from, the, from these places, which um, was shelled and uh, experienced lots of violence during the Russian occupation and uh, shelling as well. Uh, so she used con concrete this very traumatical soil and uh, paint her paintings, abstract paintings with it. And I guess this is very concrete. Even it's not looks like a, um, like a story, it, it has a story inside. Um, so I think for me, like really, I'm questioning all the time what is abstract right now and what does it mean to be abstract abstract and I think that it's not nothing is abstract <laughs> so something like that I um you mentioned this like uh Rostomil and Bucha and motion and uh I if it's okay I want to ask you about your experience which is very concrete of uh, evacuating Irpin and like what happened it, it, or do you want to talk about that or is it okay. i mean it depends what you want to ask but yes <laughs> of course um uh, yeah i guess i just think it would be interesting and give like interesting context for listeners mm -hmm. to understand a little bit about what happened to you what happened to your apartment and because i i think everybody for example, has seen this iconic photo of the people sheltering under the destroyed bridge to Erbin. Mm -hmm. um, but I think to for whoever might be listening to this, it might be good to put a voice to uh, you know one of these people who actually mm -hmm. went through this process. Yeah, so I meet uh, the full scale war in my Erbin apartment. It was the last floor of, uh, it's actually not very high a building. It's four, uh, it has four floor and my was the last one. And yeah, it was quite complicated day before because we presented an archive called secondary archive. And it was two new editions of one is Ukrainian and one is uh, Belarusian. And we did this Zoom call for three hours long. And then I was, um, yeah, it was in the evening. And then I doing some work again. I did some work. And then I was looking all these international uh, streams, uh, uh, security streams. And also I was waiting for Zelensky's speech uh, because all the days before we have this anxious uh, situation and we was uh, waiting for this war, for this uh, invasion. And when it started, I mean, actually I go to sleep at three, I guess in the morning. So explosion was at four and I'm usually turn off uh, all the notification from my phone. So I would say that I didn't hear the first explosion at all. And when I get up at eight in the morning, I saw that 
everything already happened and uh, all of these missed calls uh, from my sister, from my friends. And uh, at the time already, it was quite difficult to leave uh, Irpin because of uh, the um, traffic in the city. So I decided to stay. And uh, I was staying there until 5th of May, March or 6th of March, I don't remember. Um, yeah, and the first night I was staying in my place and it was quite um, heavy because I hear all the sounds and uh, from the uh, air protect system from the explosion on, of the bridge. Like everything that happening in the city, it wasn't like it was in my apartment because this is, a, as I said, last floor and also I have a big windows. Um, so then I decided to move to my friend who was also staying in Erpin because she have old parents and they wasn't, um, they didn't want to leave. Uh, and I decided just to stay with her and help her with her parents. Um, so we stay in her apartment and uh, until it was possible. And then our manager was saying that perhaps uh, women, children and uh, uh, old people have to leave because the situation become more complicated. And day and half we have ongoing uh, shelling. So it was like really intense and heavy. So you cannot even go to the streets and visit your parents. Um, so I decided to leave and at that day, they also decided to leave. Uh, but when I was staying in the railway station in Erpinion, trying to evacuate myself, it was already quite difficult because the Russians uh, shelled the railway station and the first train uh, was able to come to Kiev and evacuate people. The second one come much more later because it's uh, contents shelling and we decide to go through the bridge um, this bridge that you'll perhaps remember from the images and the next day the railway station was destroyed so this is very short story i feel like a thing that i didn't really understand until i visited uh, a couple months ago already, but um, mm -hmm. I didn't understand how this destruction happened. Um, and, and for example, I know like uh, uh, Bucha actually was less destroyed and there was more of this uh, like person to person violence, but Irpin, um, because there was a fight for the city was shelled pretty constantly. And even now this like, images of destruction are pretty breathtaking but um i know that uh your flat was in the end totally destroyed was bombed right yeah it's actually uh somebody posted in the chat um in the viber chat of our group uh, house group and uh, it's like really uh, visible how uh, destruction was made and this is just directly um directly uh, how to say so it's not um accidental it was uh, directly shelling of residential uh, buildings so it's just a, a huge hole inside of the building 
Um, and half of our uh, apartments are fully burned. And now it's really a huge problem because we have no roof. And when uh, raining is uh, in the city, and it means that everything is destroying more because rain is destroyed, destroying houses. Uh, so nature is not um, on our side in this case. So that's why we have to, uh, as soon as possible, to make a temporary roof or something like this which is also quite complicated because it's cost a lot. And for now, we have no uh, money from the government because uh, they uh, cannot uh, do all the restoration in the city and the city is destroyed on 75 percentage. So it means that you have to uh, reconstruct all the city. <laughs> so lots of people doing uh, reconstruction by themselves and trying to fundraise money for uh, restoration. Uh, and at least not restoration, but just to save uh, houses and buildings in these conditions in which they are now, because otherwise after the winter, perhaps uh, lots of these uh, houses would be destroyed more and it would be no, not possible to reconstruct them. You left uh, beginning of March, you left the Dupin and this, your, your apartment was bombed afterwards, but you kind of, uh, your, you went first to Lviv and then, and then how did you end up in Vienna? What is this uh, process? And they invite me for uh, the Institute for Human Sciences invite me uh, for the residency, three months residency in Vienna. And then they uh, prolonged me uh, this opportunity to stay additional months. Um, so now um, my, my residency is finished in, was finished in uh, July. So now I'm actually almost on my road to Kiev. Um, but because tomorrow I have a train to keep. Um, yeah, so it's, and I was in Lviv, I guess, uh, less than one week uh, just uh, for this moment to stay and to have um, free uh, breath uh, just to think what I have to do next. And because I also have a sister and she has small daughter and I was thinking about them uh, how I can help them. Uh, so this opportunity to come to Vienna was looks to me um, quite useful because I also invite my sister and her daughter with me. Nice. Maybe should we listen to another track and, and we can then ask you a little bit about your research in Vienna? Mm -hmm. Cool.
человеческий фактор является как и всюду, так и в системах решающих. Машина это огромный усилитель, и она усиливает те возможности и ту информацию, которую мы закладываем. Если в машину заложить правдивую информацию о возможностях на каждом рабочем месте, на каждом производственном участке, вот, то машина скомбинирует их и получит усиленные возможности предприятия, отрасли, республики, всей страны. Основываясь на правдивой информации, можно получать действительно усиление человеческого интеллекта с помощью машины. То, чего без машины сделать было бы нельзя. Но если заложить в машину заведомую ложь, то она эту ложь усилит и выдаст такую же ложь, которая уже разобраться уже окончательно будет невозможно. Now we were listening to part of your track, Glushkov, Katarina. Um, and as kind of Clement said before we listened, what have you been interested to hear what you've been up to since you've been in Vienna? Uh, actually, uh, I have this uh, very huge topic uh, called uh, and entitled as uh, art during the war, but I did, I guess, lots of other different things. Uh, like I wrote a very small article about privacy of war um, and it's dedicated to the ethics of uh, using personal data and video and images from a Russian soldiers' mobile phone. Um, or because this is also to me uh, looks like an artistic uh, gesture because lots of Russian soldiers are filming their crimes by themselves. Uh, and I was asking if uh, what, uh, yeah, about all of these ethical questions which are uh, moving around um, this data. Uh, what else? Um, I mean, I don't know. It's just really quite complicated to describe this period because, for one hand, it was too long, uh, but from another hand, this was just super fast. And I still. Uh, like in this very beginning, like in February and March uh, mood. So, I mean, it's much more better, but still it's, uh, um, yeah, it's just um, like you're freezing in time and at the same time you're going faster. And I have these complications and difficulties when I was thinking that we are, uh, we have to move much more faster because we have to do so much things, so so many things, like write articles, write books, uh, make movies, uh, talk um, about Ukrainian culture. So we have to do it more and uh, more fast. Um, but uh, in all of this, during all of this mess, I was also trying to write a essay book about nineties and try to depict the time, which uh, to me looks very interesting through different biographies of people who are connected with cultural field, but also not really. Um, so yeah, this is, was my task, which I give to myself, but I actually not really finished and I want to make it in the nearest future. I should say, will you carry on when you get to Kiev with this project or what, what's No, be... I uh, <laughs> actually, I hope that in the beginning I was thinking that I will just meet in my friends and doing my um, bureaucracy procedures with the department and um, help people and so on. 
but still I have to lots of work uh, with writing because I also write in several articles um, for other books, like not for mine, but for, for other people. Um, but also I want to make exhibition in my uh, burn apartment. And this is how I see my contribution to how can I help my neighbors as well? Uh, because now we're raising the money for um, restoration, but also I guess it's important uh, in case of trauma, how it's working and what we should do with it. Uh, because I think that with such artistic gesture, it's possible to live through trauma and work it. And uh, yeah, maybe for some people, it would be much better after that. You mean like doing an exhibition would be a way for the, the community to process No, this? just for, uh, for myself, for community. Um, I mean, of course, I will post it perhaps in my social networks, but I would not, I mean, I'm not see it like a, uh, like a regular exhibition for a huge crowd and public. I think it's have to be more um, private and the topic as well more private. So it's not the huge show with um, uh, some blockbuster artworks. It's more intimate. Mm -hmm. And are the other are the other apartments like okay? Are people living in like it seems like people are still no there. No one yeah. is living there. No, yeah. no one is okay. living because we have no uh, communications. Like everything is burned, and uh, it saved some apartments in the first floor and some on the second one. But they cannot live there because they cannot use. They have no water. They have no electricity. They cannot even uh, use the toilet because there is no <laughs> all this mm -hmm. system. So it's yeah. It, you just cannot live there. And I guess maybe also this is good context for people listening who aren't familiar with the geography. But Irpin is whatever. Like in a car, how far away is it from Kiev? Like. So uh, I was working in the city center of Kyiv uh, and it's half to me 45 minutes from my apartment to my uh, working place. So this is like with 10-15 uh, 15, 15 minutes by car and uh, then 30 minutes um, uh, with a subway. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty yeah. close. Sometimes people who live in the left bank uh, in Kyiv, they have much more difficulties to get to the city center. Yeah, it's really crazy when you start to think about how close all this was and, um, or I guess still is. And maybe that's a, I guess I, I, we, we usually ask people at the end of the show uh, if they have any organizations or anything that they want to encourage people to donate to. Um, but I'm also kind of specifically curious because I know you are from Lugansk. If uh, the, and Lugansk of course is this uh, part that is is now occupied and um, the situation there is pretty bad. Um, what, do you still have some connection to the place? Are you still, is there anything like people can do for people who are there or, or is, what's the situation with that? 
Uh, I think in this case, the situation is bad uh, everywhere. But uh, of course, uh, for me, it's painful because uh, the whole uh, oblast almost occupied by Russians. Uh, but in this case, I think that people just have to support our army. And if they want to, I mean, of course, there is uh, lots of initiatives who also help civilians or animals and you obviously can find them uh, but for us it's really important to support army um, to buy um, uh, attack weapons uh, which uh, helps us to uh, counterattack Russians and to bring our uh, cities back um, so yeah, the first organization whom I really uh, would love to mention, it's Safe and Alive. They really doing a lot since uh, 2015 uh, and 2014. And, and now they uh, raising lots of money and helping uh, different uh, military units uh, with uh, military equipment. Uh, you can also uh, help us to restore the roof and many uh, other small initiatives who will help in with restoration. I think it's like really um, very important part of uh, support because lots of people just can now, uh, cannot afford it. And we have uh, beautiful initiatives uh, from young Kiev people who go into uh, Sumy to Chernihiv Oblast and help just ordinary people with uh, their roofs and they restore houses um, and raise money for this uh, very uh, private cases. So it's another way how you can support uh, Ukrainians right now. But in general, uh, the simplest way is also to share information, to write um, and not uh, make things forgotten because it's also very important. Now we have five and a half months of full-scale war, but it's continuous during eight years. So it's not something that is very resonant, but which is really resonant. It's the um, amount of violence and the cruelty of this violence, but the war is really continuous uh, more than eight years. And uh, for all of these eight years, it was quite complicated to talk about Ukrainian situation and Ukrainian uh, and war in Ukraine. Um, so I think that it's really important not to forget anything and all of these crimes uh, which was happening in Ukraine uh, because of Russia. It's a, a great way to end on this. And you can you can uh, uh, share with us some links to mm -hmm. um, some of these initiatives. And when we post the show, we will uh, include them. Um, I guess, should we uh, listen to one track to finish? And uh, unless there's something else we're forgetting, I don't know, Chola, did we forget some crucial question or are we? Uh... No, I think we're good. Just thank you so much, Catalina, for um, joining us and sharing your stories. And it's been really, Great, and also the information to like for people to share. It's really important, and so thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And do we have a final track? Do we want to know anything about what it is before we play it? I guess the last one it's called VS, and this built uh, from the voice of Vasil Stus, one of the major Ukrainian uh, poet 
who was born in Vinnytsia, but who was living and uh, studying and teaching in Donetsk. Um, and he was uh, a Russian prisoner uh, because of his poems. Yeah, and and his poetry is really great. But I think that people love him not only because of his very strong and powerful words, but also because he was strong and powerful. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Katya, and uh, hope to see you soon. Maybe see you in Kiev. Thank you. Bye. And see you all in Kyiv or in liberated Donetsk and Luhansk. It would be really great to come back there again. Absolutely. This is sounds from Ukraine now. Звук из Украины зараз.